uh, uh, many reasons for that. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about second half guidance either because we have uh, we have uh, so lucky that we have uh, people from the outside joining this conference. So so I'll stay here so far if you like. Um, I, I'm going to kick it off with a small uh, story. Uh, that I heard uh, some years back, and I hope uh, not too many of you knows it, know it. So this was uh, uh, about 10 years back when, uh, in Europe, when, uh, when British Rail, uh, which is known to be an old-fashioned, not really uh, forward-looking uh, rail company in Europe, uh, they were looking to the continent, uh, as the Brits have done sometimes, uh, and they were looking at the French and the Germans having these high-speed trains. So um, they were um, starting to have their technology departments look at how one could develop high-speed trains in, in, in the UK. So they came up with a project plan proposal and uh, they started developing their their uh, their engines and the, uh, the trains and, and the tracks, of course. And then uh, uh, at a point in time, their their risk mitigation team kicked in and said, well. When we, we're going to move at the, at the 200 miles an hour, there's probably a few things we, we need to consider uh, that's different from doing like 80 miles an hour. So what, what happens if a bird actually hits the, uh, the front window of, of, the, of the car, of the engine? And they went into discussion and they uh, didn't really know how to figure out what would happen if a bird hit the, the front window, uh, the windscreen at 200 miles an hour. Uh, then uh, a bright engineer got this idea that they could talk to Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce are the guys who, uh, who built the, uh, a fair amount of all the airplane engines. So they thought they might have thought about what happens when something uh, with bones hits a, uh, a blades at, uh, at uh, a bit higher speed. They got onto Rolls-Royce and they got the chicken cannon which was a design that uh, the Rolls-Royce had uh, where they would uh, they used the chicken cannon to fire a chicken at the appropriate speed uh, against the blades of an engine to see what happened. So, a bit of conversation. The British Rail, they uh, got to borrow the chicken cannon, they mounted the cannon in front of the rail, the uh, front of the engine, the windscreen, and then they fired chicken at 200 miles an hour, and it went through the windscreen, it went through the seat of the driver, it went through the wall, it went through the next three seats, and then it sat in the fourth seat. <laughs> Technology. So the first uh, 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 kind of thing that, that crossed the mind was that I'm really glad we did this experience. Uh, but then, of course, what to do with it? So they uh, wrote a letter to Rolls-Royce and said, and included a report on their findings. Uh, and then a few days later, they got a, a very short note back from Rolls-Royce. And it just said, in very simple terms, you need to defrost your chicken. <laughs> so I told this... Uh, I told this this story to uh, to some uh, friends at Port and Gallup, uh, and and there was a guy. Some of you may uh, have met him. Uh, he's actually still with PG, a, uh, a British guy called Charles Brack uh, from uh, Newcastle. 
And uh, when Charles heard this story, uh, he told uh, his version of the story because his father was actually the one who wrote the letter back to Israel. Uh, that they the chicken. So um, this is a real story about technology and technology evolution. I guess you could call it a nice breakup. Uh, <laughs> you could also say it's about communication. It's about uh, being clear when you communicate. Get all the details included, because if you don't, then people will assume things. I guess you could also say that this is a, uh, a prelude to a rather uh, short and abrupt communication from Pop and Gamble, uh, uh, which I'll not talk more about, uh, but a uh, uh, very short statement. Uh, I'm now talking a bit about the first half, as you may realize. Um, yeah, so that's a bit about technology. Uh, with that uh, intro, I thought I was uh, I was going to move a bit uh, bit up, if you like. So um, technology in itself is of course interesting, uh, but the technology needs to have a purpose in a company, at least. Uh, it needs to be something that we can use. Uh, so I just wanted to remind myself what is really the purpose of of science. and. Um, um, the first slide I'm going to show is uh, one that uh, uh, some of you may have seen before. Uh, it's a bunch of numbers. Uh, and and uh, the 9 billion is the uh, number of people will be on this planet in uh, 2050. Uh, that's almost a sure thing. It's probably going to be a bit over 9 billion. Uh, so we're going to be almost 50 percent Actually, uh, I was quite astonished to, to learn that the year I was born, uh, or was born, I guess is the term, uh, we were three and a half billion people on this planet. So it's a very, quite rapid evolution, and, and there's going to be another two and a half billion, two billion coming uh, over the next uh, 40 years, 35 years. That's a lot, and it's going to put a lot of stress on, uh, on us all. I think it's uh, one of the numbers that at least is easy to remember is that the the UN uh, predicts that when we are 9 billion people, we'll consume about 70% more food than we do today. Not because we get 70% more, but because of the, uh, the fortunate increase in wealth in the emerging markets, they can consume more food and, and food that's more uh, demanding uh, to produce. So 70% more over uh, the next 35 years. That's quite amazing. And I'm sure it's something that uh, Steve will talk more about when he gets on stage. This is the lead into our biohack alliance, that we really need to produce some more uh, feed and food. Another number is uh, two-thirds. That is to remind us of that uh, two-thirds of all the teenagers of this world, they live in Asia. It's not Japan I'm talking about. They live in emerging market Asia. Uh, that's a lot. That's why uh, every large, fast-moving consumer goods company, they have their eyes on Asia. That's where the future consumer is. Two-thirds. I'm sure there, there might be one or two here in the room that could actually do with a teenager less, but think about uh, 
think about two thirds in, in Asia. Uh, it's just amazing how much that continent is going to matter over the next 20, 30 years. It's a fantastic journey. Uh, of course, China is a significant part of this. Um, over the next 10 years, 1 billion is going to move into cities. It just came from Tokyo. It's a humongous city. It costs funds to building five Tokyos every year over the next 10 years. So urbanization is something that's really important. And it's, it's going to happen at a speed that we've never seen before. The four billion are to remind us of that while we have a, if you like, an issue with our consumption of energy and certainly CO2 emission in the more mature parts of the world, there is still four billion people on this planet today that do not have steady access to energy. They have some kind of electricity maybe, but it's not stable. Uh, they can't use it to really uh, manufacture it. They can't use it at their hospitals because it isn't stable enough. Four billion. I, I think we, in this part of the world, have a tendency to believe that energy is something everyone has, but it is not. And out of the four billion, there's actually one billion people on this planet today that has nothing but the firewood they can cut in the forest uh, that used to be uh, close by. So while we're dealing with some, if you like, some issues of, a, of problems where the world is, uh, is becoming larger and more complicated, we still have a very large number of people who live a totally different life and of course who has only one ambition in their life, that is to get to live, get to live the life we live. They want to be able to feed their children, they want to have energy. And somehow we have to find a, a, a solution to this. Now I propose to you that technology and technological development is what, what's going to answer many of these questions. And actually when you look at the number at the center, the two degrees C, which is the, the number to remind us of that, um, when you listen to scientists at least, then if, if we can keep global warming at less than 2 degrees C over pre-industrial, then they think they know roughly what's going to happen. Uh, the way I understand that, that we like the, the science is that if we go above the 2 degrees C, then they have no clue about what's going to happen. It might be that the planet has some kind of a stabilization mechanism that we haven't seen that will bring it back somehow, but it might also be that it spins totally out of control with, uh, I mean, uh, uh, lots of things happening with not only melting ice, but also with the thawing of the, uh, of the tundras in Siberia. Um, and of course, I would suggest that we, we don't make the experiment at all. Um, but the, the two degrees C is probably the most important I'm pretty sure that this will turn out to be a, uh, one of the most significant problems. So while we have all these people that strive to get to live a life that, like ours, but we also have to make sure that we do it 
in a sustainable way. And this is just a very simple leading to the concept of sustainability. Somehow, we need to find answers, solutions to these problems, not by reducing everyone's consumption, because the four billion wants to consume more, and probably most of you want to, you want to. So we need to find these answers while it's growing, because not growing is not an option at all. So this was just a, a quick prelude to uh, sustainability. And we actually, uh, uh, we do things in normal times. So when you look at all the LCAs we've been doing, uh, and you look at the, the, uh, the sales we have, and you then compute the, uh, the CO2 emission, say, because of the, uh, the use of our technology uh, with our current sales, then we get to 60 million tons of CO2 which is a, a rather abstract, to me at least, uh, uh, volume of hot air. But when you then reduce it to that it corresponds to the emission of 25 million cars, then it becomes more tangible. Uh, 25 million cars is a good start. It's not the end, but it's a good start. And it's a good contribution. But of course, there needs to be a lot more contributions made by us and by other companies. The BioAg Alliance, if you take the, uh, the, uh, the, the results of the, the, the average results of the trials that uh, Monsanto did last year, then uh, uh, that works out to the, uh, an increase in corn production of about 9 million tons. And that apparently corresponds to what's produced in the state of Minnesota. Uh, uh, so a very significant addition, and, uh, and of course, the three or four percent that we might uh, achieve, or maybe even a bit more, is not going to make the seventy. Because if, if Monsanto and we can do three or four or five percent, then what can other companies do? And then maybe we'll actually make the seventy in a sustainable way. So these are some of the uh, the, uh, the the demands, if you like, uh, needs that uh, people have. That we need. More food, uh, we need more sustainable farming, uh, we need to look at manufacturing, less consumption in manufacturing, both energy and raw mass. Uh, we need to think about clean air, uh, water, uh, we need to think about urbanization. Uh, these mega cities are going to present totally new challenges and opportunities. Um, we need to think about renewable energy. I think uh, at least the short and midterm is going to be a significant part of the answer uh, when you want to uh, keep uh, uh, global warming at the low degrees C. And while we do all this, we need to think about economic growth. Uh, I am at least a firm believer in that that you cannot you cannot become more sustainable without growing. Because there's, there's a fundamental desire, particularly amongst the four billion, that is not really there today, to, to, to improve on their living. And so you need growth to happen at the same time. And, and uh, it's not on the slide, but I would actually add that in that mix is also political stability. If you do not solve the sustainability issues and you do not provide economic growth, you cannot have political stability. 
But on the other side, political stability is also a, 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 the foundation for solving some of these issues. So, neuroscience is, uh, is only a crusade here. And uh, this is the, the purpose statement that I'm sure most of you have seen before. Uh, it starts with the word together. And that's probably when you really dissect this purpose statement in a, if you like, more scientific way, that's probably the new word. Biological is not new to us. That's what we've done pretty much all the time. And better lives in a growing world is exactly what I talked about before. That's our way of expressing the simple concept of sustainability. Simple to say, but very complicated to achieve. So this is, this is what we are about. So together is the most important word in this, because I think one of the realizations we have made over the last, I'll say, 10 years, is that we can't do it in our own. Technology is moving, you know that better than anyone, it's moving with the speed of lightning. And, and the power of technology is increasing so fast that we cannot get that to market, to make the impact we want, unless we really try to work with people who, who, who can complement and supplement the insights in markets so that we together can do things. The Alliance with Monsanto is a great example of that. We just entered a, on a, on a smaller scale, we just entered an alliance with a, a French-Chinese uh, feed company called Adicio, I understand it's pronounced in American. Uh, uh, I think in French it's Adicio. Um, uh, but never mind, on, uh, on probiotics for, for broilers, uh, another example of something where we could probably have done some of it ourselves, it would have been an awful lot slower. It would have been uh, much more risky. Uh, now we pick a partner, or they pick us, whatever you like, and then we move much faster into the market, and technology gets to matter much faster. And I think that's what it's all about. It is to get technology to matter, to have impact. And that is the, um, the strategy we're pursuing. So look at this as as the next five years, at least assuming that the world doesn't make significant uh, detours, um, then uh, uh, we are about partnering for impact. And there are two key words up here. The one is, of course, partnering that I talked about, and the other one is impact. So when we think about technology, when we think about innovation, let's think about impact. I mean, there's a lot of fantastic technology that has no impact. And that's actually also a lot of simple technology that has a phenomenal impact. So let's think about impact when you think about not only technology development, but in particular when, when you think about product development. In this is a, uh, I mean, of course, it's all about innovation and focusing on the right opportunities. Uh, on the fringes here, uh, we are focusing a lot more on development of people. That means providing opportunities to develop with the company, uh, providing opportunities to be experts in your field uh, of science when you work in neuroscience, and provide opportunities to people on the commercial side to uh, achieve their, uh, their ambition in life. And the other one is uh, Rally for Change, which is a much stronger commitment to actually work with other entities, say partnership, 
uh, not only with customers and commercial partners, but also work with uh, consumer groups, NGOs, uh, uh, governments to a larger extent than we've done in the past. I think one of the things we have realized over the last 10 years is that there's a lot more in our business that's actually determined by regulation than we thought it was. And, and of course, we all know the example of the example of biofuels, mandates, the, the subsidies, restrictions, where we face uh, uh, certain issues in the marketplace that is stems from a particular regulation. But there are also a lot of areas that are indirectly regulated that we don't really think about as regulated areas. I, mean, I would suggest household care is actually a regulated area. Now, I uh, met with investors in San Francisco yesterday, and I'm not suggesting we go down this track, but I was telling them about how U.S. laundry is different, not laundry, but appliances are different from what they are in Europe, for example, and the front loaders much less water than the top loaders. Now, one of them then immediately says, well, you should get the state of California to ban these top loaders. Uh, and I, I haven't given it a thought. I mean, it's probably I mean, impossible to, to think about. But it, it just means that there are, it's just, an idea, just a concept that there's a lot of things where we could actually work harder to uh, think about the regulatory framework for what we do. In China, you have very specific regulations on what a detergent formula contains and do not contain. Uh, so there's, there's, it's not just energy. It's a bunch of different areas with the regulatory piece of it. Uh, I mean, not only the approvals, but also the, 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 the framework that, that governments provides for the technology is important for us. So this leads me to the, uh, to the nine goal that we are measured on. There's actually an interesting thing that, that you may not uh, uh, have seen yet. But these six non-financial goals, they actually come out of the, of the 17 uh, sustainability goals that the UN General Assembly is going to think that it's going to put together the last uh, weekend of September. So this, this is the working document. There are 17 of them. So we've just picked six areas where we think we can make an impact. Uh, we're actually one of the first companies in the world to have taken the UN, the coming UN sustainability targets and feeding that directly into a set of goals for a company. Uh, something we're getting a lot of, uh, obviously getting a lot of praise for from the UN system. Um, that's, that's a good piece of branding to get. But it also matters. So one particular, of course, is to deliver transformative uh, innovations. Uh, the transformation itself to achieve these, uh, these sustainability targets is, I mean, just immense. I mean, the transformation we have to make, not only as a company, but as a society, is just immense. Now, I talked about the, uh, the two degrees C before. I used to sit on the advisory board of the International Energy Agency in Paris. They have an industrial advisory board. So I was there, and then I was surrounded by 29 coal, gas, and oil guys. So here comes Mr. Renewal. And I don't think they really cared about me, but that's a different story. But I got to learn a lot there. And it's actually an interesting organization that 
comes out with, a, with really long-term projections when, when it comes to energy consumption. Uh, and, of course, all the politics around uh, energy. Um, and they came up with a report May last year, I think it was, where they do some simple math. Now, uh, just, just follow me for a second. So what they do is they look at all the, uh, the coal, gas, and oil companies in the world, all the listed companies. Then they look at their accounts, and they look at their balance sheets. So if you're a coal company, then you put on your balance sheet the value of the coal reserve that you own and have discovered. If you're an oil company, you do the same. Gas company, you do the same. They took the sum, calculated the sum of these uh, coal, gas, and oil that is on the balance sheet of these companies. Then they said, if we want to stay below 2 degrees C, what needs to happen? Well, scientists will tell that we have to be below 450 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere. And in order to stay below that, we have to knock the curve before 2020. And we have to be CO2 neutral by 2050. So if you want to burn a pound of carbon after 2050, you need to have mitigation methods. So that, of course, creates a profile for CO2 emission. How much can you emit? And if you then compare that to the coal, gas, and oil that is on the balance sheets of these companies today, then you can only burn about one-third of what has already been booked as assets before 2050. And in all likelihood, you can't burn any of it from 2050 to 2100. That's a change. It, it just, I think, tells you a bit about when we paddle with cellulosic ethanol, and I'm, I'm a great supporter of it, but there are massive forces at play here. So if we really want that to happen, and of course we do, then we also need to associate ourselves and, and, and work with massive forces. And I think the only force in this world who can make the, the fossil fuel industry reduce their sales efforts, so to say, and reduce their, of course, inherent desire to turn that asset into value, that's government. So that's why it's so important to, to work with governments uh, to, to have them uh, understand this agenda, but also to have them uh, 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 legislate so that we promote this agenda. The CO2 savings, of course, is, is, uh, is obvious. Uh, then the, we take upon ourselves to educate one million people about the potential of our um, this, this may sound like a, a, a kind of a do-good thing, but and it is, uh, it's also a way of exciting ourselves about uh, this fantastic uh, technology and business we need. Uh, but it's also, of course, in order to create interest for these technologies and to, to have more people understand that biology itself can actually find or, or provide some of these answers that we need to, uh, to solve the This all comes back to technology and R&D. None of this happens at all because we talk about it. It only happens if we do the research, if we find these uh, new 
new solutions, find the technologies that can do it. So it's, I mean, nothing has changed in that respect. It's all about the research. It's all about finding these uh, uh, game changers uh, and then do it together. So these are the industries that we are serving. At least it's, it's a cut of them. Uh, and you know all of there are opportunities in all of them. But I'm going to highlight a couple since I'm here in Davis. I've already talked about renewable energy and how important I think that is for the expert electricity model. So this is also your chance to connect and to develop new technologies and determine what I'm going to do in the next couple of years to make sure that we stay ahead of technology. It is absolutely important and crucial for us when you look at the new that we have those that we master those. Uh, what have been happening in Aspen Hills recently, maybe in less than a couple of months, have the CRISPR Cas9 to, to operate really nice. This is just another uh, example of the new functions we have. And of course, it does also come with uh, quite a number of challenges because, as Peter alluded to, the amount of information we get, how do we share this? How do we keep track of all this data? How do we in a reasonable way, translate that into knowledge we all have. That's also what this technology conference is about. So, uh, for me, it is great to see that we are so big, we cannot even uh, be inside the global scientific zone. We need to break the space outside the zone. Because there are so many key technologists who are really passionate about driving the technology to the next level. This is what the conference is about. So, please be active. Make sure that you make the right contact, that you learn the Keep people for your projects, for your technology, or the next part of this. So, for me, it is, uh, uh, as always, fantastic to be here. I look forward to the next part of this and, and enjoy uh, participating in all these discussions on where we're going to take the technology uh, the next couple of years uh, before we meet again. And of course, I cannot promise you exactly where that's going to be. Could uh, be uh, in the US again, could also be uh, another destination. But, but please uh, enjoy, interact, and make sure that you all bring the uh, valuable knowledge back to make sure that you are successful in your project. So, welcome to California. Developed 
glyphosate resistant genes, which actually then were later on transferred into what we know as kind of the GMO cones, the GMO soils, and so forth. The uh, Roundup ready kind of traits, which made Monsanto world famous, and which are still the most used traits all in the world. And Steve has led the uh, R&D area later on, where Monsanto built more and more technology in order to keep, as we try to do, the leading distance toward the competition. The current job Steve has is a little different, but I'm going to read it here. It is the R&D investment strategy and growth ventures lead for the company. And uh, Steve will not only talk a little talk about the bio alliance, but Steve will definitely talk about the external world, key learnings with that we can uh, get out of our alliance, just beyond the two thousand in the field. Steve, please. Uh, 
characteristics that I've found about no designs as I've uh, interacted with the teams over the last few years that, that are common between no designs and Monsanto, and that belief in the power of technology uh, to drive sustainable solutions is a big Now, I would also say that we're, we're 100% focused today on agriculture. So we uh, used to be a chemistry and a pharma company. Uh, and in 2002-ish, we IPO. It's another commonality with Novazon. These have a farm base, and we, we did too. Uh, we IPO to be 100% uh, agriculture about 2002. So we've been on the journey as well uh, from the beginning of, uh, of this century uh, as a standalone company, but with 100% focus on that. Uh, you know, if, you're, if you hang around Monsanto a little bit, you know, you will uh, uh, kind of figure out that corn is king. You know, corn is our, our biggest business line. And what you can see are a couple of facts on this slide. And so, you know, in the top five, what I would call open markets for corn in, in, in the world, we're number one in all of those different markets in terms of market share, with the exception of Western Europe, uh, number two. Now, the reason I say uh, open markets is actually China's number two in corn production behind uh, the U.S., but those markets are more complex. And so, uh, uh, we have more ventures in China and working on that, but it's not the not the same dynamics as the markets we show here. So, you know, we're commonly thought of and we prioritize corn as number one product line, but we're really a lot more uh, than just corn. And what I thought I'd do is rather than uh, kind of go over myself, is see if I can get a uh, little video to run. And for the audio visual person, keep your hands on the volume in case uh, this uh, gets out of hand. Soils alive and its health is vital to sustainable farming. 
We offer farmers microbial seed treatments derived from organisms found in nature. Just like probiotics help people stay healthy, microbes help plants get a good start, secure nutrients, and even fend off pests and disease. We live in a world of data. Data we can use to make better decisions throughout our day. It's the same for farmers. From planting to harvest, they're collecting information about their fields and farming methods. By combining their knowledge with our data science models, we can provide them with customized insights about their farming operation. From satellite imagery of their fields to predictions about how much fertilizer is in the soil. Working to provide farmers with sustainable agriculture solutions. That's who we are. That's why we're Monsanto.
try to do is make sure that the strategies are lined up, uh, the business goals are clear, and the technology is resourced uh, to have our best shot at delivering uh, solutions to the, to the technology uh, questions. Now, you know, when, when we think about our technology uh, priorities uh, in Montana, uh, this slide shows on the left the technology platforms that we focus on, and on the right is how we project to the external world what we're looking for in marketplace innovations around the technology. So, in our core business, we really have three base business growth platforms, and that would be in the crop protection side, which we round up in chemistry. We have breeding, which is highly technified these days with sequencing and genotyping. 